I'm Miss Tyler, and welcome to another episode of Context for Kids, where I teach you guys stuff most adults don't even know. If this is your first time hearing, or if you've missed anything, you can find all the episodes archived at contextforkids.podbean.com, which has them downloadable, or at contextforkids.com, where I have transcripts for readers or on my Context for Kids YouTube channel. Today we're going to talk about a very myth-understood word, and that word is myth, and another word just like it is mythology. The reason why these words are so important is because we're going to talk about the flood myths of one of Israel's closest neighbors, Samaria, or Babylon actually, before we talk about the flood described in Genesis. The Epic of Atrahasis was written during the times of the patriarchs, which is a fancy word that we use to mean Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who we'll get to before too much longer. A patriarch is a male head of a household, usually the oldest man. A matriarch was the female head of a household, usually the wife or the mother or the sister of the patriarch. So, when we talk about the Jewish people or the nation of Israel, we talk about their patriarchs being Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and each of the 13 tribes also had a patriarch because Jacob had 12 sons, and 11 of those sons plus Joseph's two sons became the heads of the tribes of Israel. Now, if that confuses you, don't worry about it because... We'll describe it in the future, and you will not be tested on this. Now, the tribes had matriarchs, too. Sarah, Rebecca, Leah, and Rachel. But, like I said, during the times when the patriarchs lived, the Babylonian Empire was just beginning in the east. Maybe you've heard of the famous King Hammurabi and his law code. He was a very wise king, although a lot of his laws are seriously messed up. Maybe when you're grown up, you can read them. You know what? A lot of stories from that time, no matter what country they're from, are pretty messed up. Laws their kings gave were usually better than nothing, than better than anarchy, which is what you call it when a society has no rules at all. But Some of their laws were really horrible and downright evil. And that goes for all of the law codes I've read. Babylonian, Assyrian, Hittite, and Egyptian. It's hard to believe sometimes the things that those guys thought was a good idea or fair. Those kinds of laws are always great if you're rich and powerful, but not so much if you aren't. But the kinds of laws that a society comes up with tell us a lot about what they thought about their gods and what the character of their gods was like. And that's also why we read the ancient myths from these countries along with their laws so we can understand what the heck was going on in their brains that they thought throwing someone into a river to see if the gods will rescue them, you know, that that was a good way to see if someone was guilty or innocent of a crime. They did this because of their beliefs. Myths always reflect people's beliefs about their gods. But what is a myth anyway? Well, a myth is a story that claims to explain what has happened or why things are the way they are. 
A myth isn't like history because a history has names and dates and evidence that it's true and is based upon the claims of people who were actually there. A myth is a claim that something is true, but a myth cannot be proven. Sometimes myths are called legends. What we cannot do is make the mistake of saying that myths are all nonsense stories or lies. So when somebody talks about the creation myth or the flood myth, they're describing the kind of literature it is. They're not making claims as to whether or not it happened. Well, sometimes they are. Sometimes people hear the word myth and they get super angry, but when we understand the meaning of the word and we understand how it was originally used, there's no need to get angry. A myth is just a story about why things are the way they are. It's meant to teach us important things about what we believe. So the flood myth in the Bible is going to tell us important things about the God of the Bible, our God. And the flood myths of Mesopotamia will tell us important things about their gods and why they should be avoided. Of course, their gods aren't real gods, and absolutely no one worships or believes in them anymore, but reading their flood myths will teach us about what their character was like, which means their personality, whether they could be trusted or not, if they were reasonable or unreasonable, kind or cruel, hardworking or lazy, wise or foolish, that sort of thing. The flood myth in the Bible the story of the story that Genesis tells us will tell us those exact same things about our God, and we can compare our God with the gods of the Babylonians to see how different he is from them, and we've done a little bit of that already. Now, when we study stories like these and see what they say about the gods of Babylon and Samaria, we can really see a huge difference between them and the God of the Bible. And that's why we're going to learn about them before we read the Bible account. They are really messed up. Now, I'm not going to recite the whole epic of Atrahasis to you or anything. What I'm going to do is rewrite it into a more understandable story. We'll have some fun with it. And after the story, we're going to stop and talk about how messed up this all is. I want you to imagine you're a child in ancient Babylon, huddled around a family fire in the middle of winter. Maybe you're eating a bowl of lentils and a piece of flatbread. During the winter, there often wasn't a whole lot more than that to eat. Your grandfather, the patriarch of the family, would be very old, maybe 46 years old. He might live another 12 years because most people suffered terribly in ancient times from disease and not having enough to eat and certainly not a very balanced diet. His teeth were probably black and he would scratch a lot because he had head lice and parasites. His skin was very brown and very wrinkly because of all the time he spent in the sun working hard to provide for his family. And don't even ask me what he smelled like. But things were easier in the winter. Easier because there was less work, but harder because there was also less food. Still, your favorite part of winter would be listening to the stories and songs your grandfather and the other elders told on cold winter nights huddled together with your brothers and sisters. And you're going to notice that these stories repeat a lot because that's how ancient stories went. It was so you would remember what had been said so you could pass it on to your kids. Listen, children, grandfather would say, his eyes twinkling with excitement. There was a time long, long ago when the lower gods were just like us. They were the Igigi gods. The seven great Anuna gods needed to eat. 
They needed their grain. They needed their meat. They needed fruit and vegetables to fill their bellies. So they forced the Igigibot gods to work hard in the fields as shepherds. By the sweat of their brow, they dug the canals and planted the grain and harvested the fruit and tended the flocks. By the strength of their arms, they dug the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, and they dug wells for good water. They took all of the leftover rock and clay, and they made the mountains. They worked and worked year in and year out. The lower gods drudged away as slaves, and they counted the years of their slavery. For forty long years, they served the Anuna gods as mere slaves, and they became very tired. They worked day and night to satisfy the demands of the seven Anuna gods. When they could no longer bear the drudgery, they began to complain to the seven. They began to speak against the greater gods. From down in their ditches, they began to mutter to one another, We need to take our problem to someone who can do something. The regional authority, the one in charge of our labors. We must remove Anlil, the great warrior, the one who is counselor to all the Anuna gods, from his resting place. We must do something to the great warrior Enlil. We must remove him from his temple high atop his ziggurat. They said, we will not work for them anymore. We will burn our tools. We will destroy our work baskets and our workplaces. We will stop working and we will fight them instead. And the Igigi gods agreed, and they took up their weapons and prepared for battle. To the gate of Anlil, they carried their weapons to fight the seven Anuna gods. It was night when the Igigi surrounded the house of Enlil, and Enlil did not know it. The great temple of Ikur in Nippur was surrounded in the middle of the night, and Enlil was sleeping unaware. Nusku, a messenger of the Anuna, met the Igigi at the gate of Anlil. Weapons in hand, he met the Igigi and said, Anu, the father of all, Enlil, the warrior and advisor, Ninurta, the god in charge of your labors, and Enugi, the overseer, have sent me with a message for you. Who is responsible for all this? Who has dared to come after the Anuna with weapons? Who has declared war on the greater gods? Whoever is responsible has done a bad thing against his masters. But the Igigi did not back down. They stood together and were very brave. All of us together have done this thing. We have declared war on the Anuna because our back-breaking labor and excavation. We're done being miserable and we are declaring war on you. Nusku went back to the throne room and reported back to the to the seven the words of the Igigi, that they were tired from slaving away for forty long years and they would never work as slaves again. After giving it much thought, Ea spoke up and said, We know that they're telling the truth. We cannot accuse them of lying. Every day we heard their cries and we ignored their complaining. How can we accuse them of lying now? Call the goddess Nintu. Let her create humans to do the work instead of the Igigi gods. 
Let her create men to bear the heavy yoke of the Igigi gods. Let men do the hard and miserable work instead of the Igigi. Nintu called forth Enki to bring her clay for the making of humans. And Enki said that they should kill one god and use his flesh and blood for the making of humans. The Anuna all agreed that this was an excellent idea. Nintu the mother made a lump from all the flesh and blood and spirit and the clay and the Igigi spit upon it. Nintu mixed the flesh and blood of the god with clay and so man was made with the flesh and blood and spirit of the god but also with the clay from the earth so that he would always know who he was and where he was from and why he was created. When she was done, she said, You gave me the job, and I finished it. I have created humans, and they will do all the hard work of the gods. I have released the Igigi from their hard work and slavery. From now on, the humans will do all the difficult work of the lower gods, and they will complain and cry out instead. I have freed the Igigi, and I have restored peace among the greater and lower gods. And there was great happiness among the gods until the humans multiplied greatly on the face of the earth, and there were too many of them. They made so much noise that the gods couldn't get any sleep. There was so much noise that the gods had no peace and quiet at all. And so they decided to send a great flood to wipe out all the humans they had made. But Enki went in secret to his follower, Atrahasis, and gave him a dream warning him about the coming disaster. But being just a man, he could not understand the dream, and he prayed to Enki to explain the meaning. Enki told his servant Atrahasis to build a boat, because there would be a seven-day flood that would destroy all life. Atrahasis warned the elders, and they built a boat. Atrahasis brought all kinds of animals and birds and livestock on board with him. And he threw a great feast and he brought his family on board the boat. But Atrahasis was very upset. He walked in and out of the ark. He couldn't sit and he couldn't kneel down. He was so broken hearted and upset that he was vomiting. Then the weather changed and it became dark. They heard the storm god beginning to rumble and threaten. Atrahasis had just enough time to close the door and seal it with pitch before Adad began to roar in the wind and the rain that beat down on the boat. Atrahasis cut the rope that tied him to the earth. The storm came on violently, and there had never been anything like it before or since. The storm was like a battle, and the rain and darkness were so severe that people couldn't even see one another. The rain bellowed like an angry bull, and the wind screeched like an eagle. The darkness was so thick that they could feel it, and the sun disappeared. But then the gods realized their terrible mistake. With the people gone and no one to offer sacrifices, they became hungry and began to starve. The Anuna and Igigi were dying of hunger and dying of thirst. Their food was gone. Their slaves were gone. What would they do?
It was only when they smelled the pleasing aroma of a sacrifice, and look, there was Atrahasis and his family making a sacrifice. The gods crowded around the altar like flies, greedily devouring the cattle and the sheep of his sacrifice and the unleavened bread of his offering. The gods swore that they would never again kill all life in the world, but to solve the problem of the noise, they would take away immortality from men. No longer would men live forever, and they would make it so that many of the babies of the humans would die and that many of the women would not be able to have babies. And that, children, is why we are now born, why many die in childhood, and why we grow old and we die. We made too much noise and the gods dealt harshly with us. And this is also why we have to work so hard, because the Igigi gods rebelled against the Anuna gods, and we were created to care for the needs of the gods in their place. <clears throat> The Anuna decided to create men, to create us, to do the work of digging and planting and harvesting and building and shepherding. That is our purpose, and that is why we grow the food that the priests take to the temple every morning and afternoon, to feed the gods so that they will bring the rains and the sun and the moon and give us wisdom and everything else we need to live. Do you see how myths worked in the ancient world? Myths told stories to explain the big questions that all people have. Why don't people live forever? In the ancient world, a great many babies died and people wanted to know why. It hasn't been until very recently that children rarely die because of changes in our diet and modern medicine. And people have always wanted to know what their purpose was. We always have these kinds of questions. Christians and Jews read the Bible when they want to understand the meaning of these questions, and the Babylonians came up with this story. It had probably been passed down for a long time in the form of stories told around fires and homes before someone finally wrote it down during the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But what are the differences that we see between the Bible and the Epic of Atrahasis? Well... For one, our God doesn't need to be fed by humans. We weren't created to make sure that he doesn't have to starve to death. We also weren't created to be slaves. In fact, the Bible tells us that God made the earth to serve our needs. That God made it perfectly for us to be exactly what we needed so we can eat. What kinds of gods are these guys? Dang, just plain nasty. One, they think they can just make all the weaker gods their slaves, which is not cool. God created everyone equal in the beginning. One big family, remember? He created us to be image bearers. To rule wisely over creation and to show the world what he was like. Sorry, but you... When you're making people work hard for 40 years as slaves, you are certainly not acting like God. And on top of that... You're making other people who were also created in God's image into slaves. That's just like making a slave out of God, which is no, just no, nope, not good. Slavery was normal in the ancient world, but that doesn't make it right. 
Moses allowed people to take slaves when they would go to war too, but it doesn't mean it was God's original will for humans to do that. Jesus called things like that allowances in Mark chapter 10 because our hearts are so hardened and stubborn that we just were determined to do bad things. And Moses made some of the laws so that those things would be less bad when we did them. But now we know that it's always bad to own other people and force them to work, no matter what. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, well, he did that, but could you imagine Jesus having slaves? No way! He died for everyone because he wants everyone to be able to be free. And killing everyone just because it got too noisy? Again! Dang! Now... I will admit that there are some people in my neighborhood who are happy I am not one of those gods because for two whole weeks they were setting off really loud fireworks every night after 10. The kinds that go up in the sky and explode and make my window shake. So, you know, I totally get the temptation to just get rid of everyone, but it doesn't mean that it would be right to do it or that I would even think seriously about it. I was just tired and angry, and they were being really bad neighbors. Now, in the flood story in the Bible, what was different? Well, the Bible says that God was putting an end to violence and evil, not noise. God wasn't annoyed or angry or wrathful. It says he was brokenhearted, and he regretted ever making humans because of all the horrible things they were doing to one another. The Bible says that everyone's thoughts were evil all day, every day of their lives, and I can't even imagine what that would look like. I certainly wouldn't want to live in a world like that. What about what those gods did after the flood? Making it so that babies die? Making it so that some women couldn't have babies? Well, that's just mean and spiteful. And how about making it so that people will get old and die? That's very different from the story that the Bible tells us. The Bible says that we were originally created mortal, and it was only, then that means we're going to get old and die, and that it was only if we ate from the tree of life that we would live forever. Could you even imagine living forever as a slave? That's how the Babylonians thought about life before the flood. Bottom line, the epic of Epic of Atrahasis tells us a lot of unpleasant things about the Babylonian gods and what they thought of themselves and why they were created in the first place. Remember when I told you about Hammurabi's laws? In those laws, you were either a rich man or you were in trouble. If you were poor or if you were a woman, then your life was worth next to nothing. If a rich man killed a poor man, then very little or nothing would happen to him. If a poor man killed a rich man, boy howdy, there's going to be big trouble. That's because they believed in a world where men mattered and women didn't, and rich men mattered and poor men almost didn't matter at all. Enslaved people were just property, like a plow or a hammer or whatever. They weren't considered to be people. That's why the Anuna gods didn't care when they listened to the Igigi gods moaning and groaning as they worked so hard to dig those trenches and plant and harvest and shepherd and all that. 
Rich people didn't care that poor people suffered, and men didn't really care what happened to women. The world was all about believing that people deserved whatever happened to them, if they were poor or women or children, because they didn't much care about kids either. <laughs> now, we believe that all people are created equal, and so we know that it is wrong to have different laws for different kinds of people. If a president gets away with a crime that a grocery cashier goes to jail for, then we know that is wrong. We know that a pastor of a church and every person in the church have to obey the exact same commandments. But that's because of the Bible and especially Jesus' teachings in the Bible. They didn't have those and so these people didn't know and it's obvious when we read their myths. Anyway, I love you and I'm praying for you and I'm praying you have a wonderful week studying the scripture with your family. Bye-bye.